Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your lives. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's subject is going to be on your worth in God's eyes. So the world sometimes leaves us feeling kicked, empty, and wondering if it's all worth it, or if we are worth it. But God leaves no doubt of the tremendous value he places on every human life, including yours. So we need to look at his promises. Number one, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Out of Genesis 1, 27. Your value begins with the fact that you are made by the hand of the creator in his very image. Number two, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you out of Isaiah 49, 15. Even if you are forsaken by family and friends, you are always cherished in the heart of God. Number three, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, out of Jeremiah 29:11. God's thoughts towards you are wonderful, and he has great plans for your life. Number four, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Jeremiah 31, 3. His love for you is relentless, immeasurable, and infinite. And number five, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Out of Romans 5, 8. The creator of life loves you so intensely that he allowed his own son to die in your place before you ever repented. And there are some, some quick five promises that God has promised you from him. Rick Warren writes, you don't have to prove your worth. When you find yourself stuck in overwork, you need to remember your value to God. This is the exact opposite of basing your worth on your work, your career, or your full-time role. It is countercultural and may require major change in your thinking, especially if a little voice in your head keeps saying you've got to prove you matter. You don't have to prove your worth. God says that you are already extremely valuable. You'll never be more valuable to God than you are right now. You'll never be less valuable to God than you are right now. How val- valuable are you? Your heavenly Father created you. Jesus died for you. If you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God doesn't create anything without purpose or intention. In fact, that you're alive means God loves you and wanted you alive. You're priceless. You're a masterpiece. It's not what you do that gives your worth, but whom you belong. God created you, and he loves you. He made you just the way he made you to be. You don't have to try to be someone else. Did you know that God has a tattoo of you? Isaiah 49.16 says, Can a mother forget her little child and not have love for her own son? Yet even if that should be, I will not forget you. See, I have tattooed your name upon my palm. Are you perfect? Absolutely not. Are you broken? Yes. Are you a sinner? Yes. But are you of infinite value? Yes, and you are deeply loved by God. Do you sometimes feel worthless? Or at times you have been slighted or treated as though you were of little value? Should we value some people more or less than others? And how should we set a value upon each other? So let's look into the Bible for some answers. And remember, we need to pray and ask God to give us wisdom before we read his word. 
So how much does God care for us? And how much does he value us? Out of Matthew 10, 29 through 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So you don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God cares for his creation, the sparrows in this case, so much, in fact, not even one sparrow dies and falls on the ground without God noticing it. But to us, sparrows seem to so small and worthless. In fact, in the Bible times, two sparrows were sold for a farthing, less than one cent. If God values the sparrows so much, how much does he care for and value us? Are not we of more value than many sparrows? Yes, in fact, God knows so much about us that even every hair on our head is numbered. But how much are you and I truly worth? And what value should we place upon each other? Often we've looked at the work someone is doing, and if they're doing a poor job, perhaps always making mistakes, then we view that person as little value. But in this, the correct way of seeing value is in someone. In a friendship, if one person is not showing kindness, sympathy, or love to the other, is it because they don't really value or appreciate that person as they should? Think about it. If we truly saw the value of people as God does, would we still treat each other the way we do? What value does God place upon us? Remember the verse we read earlier. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Think of it. Not one of these little brown sparrows that are caroling forth their praises to God will fall to the ground without the notice of the Heavenly Father. Not one of those little brown sparrows that the boy so ruthlessly kill drops to the ground, but his eyes marks its fall. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. If God cares for a sparrow that has no soul, how will he care for the purchase of the blood of Christ? One soul is worth more than all the world. For one soul, Jesus have passed through the agony of Calvary that one might be saved in his kingdom. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And this is the key to seeing and understanding the value of you and me and all other people in the world. That is to see our value in light of what Jesus did to save us. Isaiah 13:12 states, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. God says that he will make a man, that is, you and me, more precious than fine gold. Ophir was a place famous for its gold. And truly, when we look at the greatness of the price paid to save us, it is much, much more precious than gold. So how much Jesus loves us. Think about how Jesus, the great powerful creator, became a man and walked among us, and then was crucified in the hands of those he had created. And he did it because he loved and valued us so much that he wanted to save us from our sins. So are we not of far greater value than anything in this world? The worth of human soul can be estimated only by the light reflected from the cross of Calvary. It was the joy set before Christ in accomplishing so great salvation that led him to submit to shame, agony, and death. How do all the treasures and the glories of earth sink into insignificance when compared with the value of a human soul? 
Let's remember how much we are of value in God's eyes. And remember to be kind and loving to all the people in this world because of what Jesus has done for us and the great worth he has placed on all of us. So next, I'm going to read you a story, and it's called The Sun. And here it is. A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier from whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out his package. I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son, painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh no, sir, I can never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. The man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gravel, we will start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100, $200. Another voice shouted angrily, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still, the auctioneer continued, The sun, the sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. It was a longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give ten dollars for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have ten dollars. Who will bid twenty? Give it to him for ten dollars. Let's see the masters. Ten dollars is the bid. Won't someone bid twenty dollars? The crowd was becoming angrily. They didn't want this picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gravel. Going once, twice, sold for $10. A man sitting on the second row shouted, Now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the paintings? I am sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation till this time. Only the painting of the sun will be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. 
God gave his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cruel cross. Much like the auctioneer, his message today is, the son, the son, who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son gets everything. So next, I want to play you a song. It's by Tommy Walker, and it's called Near. And here it is. There is a place A place that's safe Here in your presence, Lord There is a place Where fears fade away Here in your presence, Lord We draw nearer, 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 Lord, nearer to your throne. So we draw nearer, 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 Lord, nearer. There is a place, a place of hope, mm, here in your presence, Lord, where sorrows they fade and dreams are remade, oh, here in your presence. Lord. 
Another great song by Tommy Walker. And the part that I like the best is this. There is a place, a place that's safe. Here in your presence, Lord, there is a place where fears fade away. Here in your presence, Lord. John Piper writes, Are you worthy of Jesus? In what sense are Christians worthy of God, or of Christ, or of their calling? And in what sense are we unworthy? On the one hand, Jesus and Paul both teach that we must be worthy of Jesus and his calling. And here's what Jesus said regarding this. There are people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy, out of Revelations 3.4. Whoever loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Out of Matthew 10, 37 and 38. Those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Luke twenty thirty-five. The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Out of Matthew 22, 8. And here's what Paul said regarding this. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds worthy of repentance. Out of Acts twenty-six twenty. Similarly, John the Baptist had said, Bear fruit worthy of repentance, Matthew 3.8. To the Jews of Antioch and Pisidia, Paul said, Since you thrust the word of God aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, Acts 13.46. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, Ephesians 4.1. Let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel of Christ, out of Philippians 1.27. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of God, out of 1 Thessalonians 2.12. May God make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, out of 2 Thessalonians 1.11. In all these passages, being worthy is expected and necessary in the Christian life. But on the other hand, Jesus commended the centurion's faith as unparalleled for humbly confessing his unworthiness. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. 
Jesus said, Not even in Israel have I found such faith, out of Luke 7, 6, and 9. And John the Baptist said of Jesus, He who comes after me, the strap of his sandal, I am not worthy to untie. How shall we understand our worthiness of Jesus in the view of our sinfulness? The key that unlocks the mystery is found in the phrase, Bear fruit worthy of repentance. This cannot mean bear fruit that deserves repentance, because the repentance is already there. It comes first, repent and turn to God, performing deeds worthy of repentance. How shall we understand our worthiness of Jesus in the view of our sinfulness? Worthy of repentance means repentance has such worth that the fruit it produces will share in that worth. Fruit-worthy of repentance means that there is a suitable correspondence between the beauty of the repentance and the beauty of its fruit. Repentance is the turning to God from all else and the valuing of God above all things. That is beautiful. That is what humans were made for. That is worthy. Then, this inner treasuring of God above all things bears fruit in deeds. And these deeds reflect the supreme worth of God. And so they too, in all their imperfection, are worthy. Their worthiness is a reflection of the repentance, which is a reflection of God's infinite worthiness. So being worthy of repentance does not mean being deserving of repentance, as if we earned it or merited it. So this solves the riddle of Jesus' words. Whoever loves the father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, out of Matthew 10. This does not mean that we deserve Jesus or merit Jesus or earn Jesus. Nothing we do puts him in a position of owing us anything good. When Jesus says we are not worthy of him, if we treasure our parents or children or life more than him, he means that he is infinite worth, far above parents and children and life. And the only suitable, worthy response from us is to see that and prefer him as a supreme treasure. Thus, our preference for his worth is our worth. To be worthy of the infinite worth of Jesus is to see and savor him as infinitely worthy. This is not earning or meriting or deserving him. To be worthy of the infinite worth of Jesus is to see and savor him as infinitely worthy. In fact, one aspect of his beauty that we cherish is his grace toward sinners like us. Being worthy of a gracious Savior includes a sense of unworthiness similar to the confessions of the centurion and John the Baptist. You become worthy of grace. You see your need for grace. And when you embrace the infinite value of the gracious one, in this case, if you love mother and father and son or daughter, or your own life more than Jesus, you are not worthy of him. Your worthiness is your desperate preference for his gracious worthiness over all things. This is confirmed in the story of the wedding feast. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. They went off one to his farm, another to his business. So the king throws open the doors to everyone who will come and send messengers to invite them all. But before he does this, he says, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. This is an identical to the situation where Jesus said, Whoever loves son or daughter 
more than me is not worthy of me. Only here he is saying, whoever loves farm or business more than me is not worthy of me. The principle is the same. Worthiness of the wedding feast is not earning or deserving or meriting it. Worthiness of the feast is preferring the feast over business and farm. The worth of the guests is their embrace of the worth of the feast. I invite you to apply this principle to other passages, like the command to be worthy of our calling, and worthy of the gospel, and worthy of the Lord, and worthy of God, and worthy of the kingdom. Our worthiness is seeing and savoring the one of infinite worth. In every case, what we find is that our worthiness is not our deserving or meriting or earning, but rather our seeing and savoring something of infinite worth. Our worthiness is our preferring that worth above all things. We do not merit or deserve or earn the Lord and his calling and his kingdom, but in our need, God grants us to see them as infinitely precious, infinitely worthy, and we embrace them with desperate desire. We prefer over all, we treasure, we receive, we trust. That is what it means to be worthy of the Lord. So we need to live like someone valued by God. Worldly self-esteem bases your worth on appearance, possession, and accomplishments, whether high or low. This kind of esteem is prideful, focuses on self, and doesn't add value to your life. It minimizes your potential for growth and influence. On the other hand, self-image based upon the value God has placed on you is Christ-centered and goes far beyond what you can dream or imagine. If you are a believer who wants to be a leader, you must live as someone valued by God. So how can you increase your Christ-centered self-image? Look to the Apostle Paul's letters to the Ephesians. In it, he gives three reasons you are valuable to God, five truths to know, and five things to do. And the three reasons you're valuable to God, one, you are valuable because of who you are. You are made in God's image according to his likeness out of Genesis 1.26. A long time ago, even before God created you and before he created this universe, you were the focus of his love. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and we should be holy and without blame before him in love out of Ephesians 1.4. And you are valuable because of what you cost. As one loved by God, you have also been chosen by God for adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, at Ephesians 1.5. This adoption came at a high price, the death of his son. He made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, the, of sins, out of Ephesians 1. You are valuable because of what you can become. As a person who is loved by God and adopted into his family, you can be sure that God has a plan for your life. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trust in Christ should be in the praise of his glory out of Ephesians 1, 11, and 12. And the truth that we should know, The value God has placed on you is the value that you should place on yourself. You can live as someone valued by God when you know these vital truths. Christ wants to have a relationship with you. When Paul prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he wasn't referring to something temporary. 
Jesus wants to live and relate with you permanently. You can experience Christ's extravagant love as if being pursued relationally by the Son of God isn't enough. Even more amazing is the fact that he wants you to know and experience the width and length and depth and height of his love. You can live a full and fulfilled life. Jesus wants you to be filled with all the fullness of God and come that you might have life more abundantly. And God's power is not limited. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Out of Ephesians 3.20 God can do great works within you. This divine love and power that exceeds your imagination works in you because His Spirit strengthens you and Christ lives in you. You cannot help seeing yourself as valuable when you really know these truths. But don't stop there. To live as someone valued by God, you must do something with that knowledge. You discover your spiritual path and start moving. Paul beseeched believers to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called out of Ephesians 4. Be intentional about living a life that matches who you are by virtue of your relationship with Christ. Be humble and disciplined. Cultivate Jesus' attitude of humility by putting others before yourself and following through with what you start. Experience community. Serve one another and stay together. You will feel more valuable when you work to add value to others' lives and keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace out of Ephesians 4.3. Use your unique gifts. Followers of Christ are one body who belong to one Lord and one God and Father. But that doesn't mean we're all supposed to look, speak, and act alike. God has made you unique. And he has given you unique gifts to influence others and add value to their lives. Keep growing. God wants you to grow up in all things into him out of Ephesians 4.15. Satisfaction with the status quo always leads to stagnation. Until the day you die, you have the potential to keep growing, leading, making a difference in this world, and adding value to others' lives. This starts by believing and living as someone valued by God. You matter. You have value. Start living like it today and never stop. So that brings us to the end of our episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it. My prayer as always is that God blesses the path you're on with him and that you embrace that path. And next week's episode is going to be on God has plans for your life. You can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And anywhere you download your podcast, you can get mine for free. I hope everybody had a great week. God bless, and we'll see you next week.